Hey, maybe you heard someone say this to you before. If you're a woman, you are not allowed to preach. If you're a wife, your husband has authority over you in the household. Or if you're a female, step aside and let the male lead the church. Now, did God really command these things? Well, let's talk about it. So we're in part two of a series dealing with the topic of what God envisioned women to do in the kingdom of God. In my many years of interacting with people inside and outside the church, when it comes to the topic of women, I've heard a lot of negative things being said about the church. But to that, I will often say that the early church, like in the first few centuries, had more women than men, mainly because the way that the church treated women. They were often treated with more dignity, with more respect, and more freedom. But cots, you may be thinking or shouting at the screen. I know a lot of Christians that claim that women are to be submissive to men, not have leadership roles over men, and that women should not teach or even speak in the church. And in some cases, they'll even bust out a Bible and say, hey, here are the verses that back up these claims. Now, these people often fall under the category called complementarianism. They believe that while women and men are equal in personhood, meaning they have equal value and worth, God drew a hard line in the roles concerning marriage, family life, church, among other environments. And although they claim that it's only a distinction in roles, we've learned over time that roles are very important. I mean, imagine if I were to say that only a certain race was allowed to lead Sunday school, or people with a certain skin complexion can be on the worship team. Sounds weird, right? All right, so the people who lie on the other end of this argument are called egalitarians. They believe that everyone has equal value, which is the same as a complementarian claim. But egalitarians also believe that their gender and sex should not limit them from roles in the family and the church. And maybe for you, maybe you've experienced one or two or more Christians who came up to you with a Bible verse and said, no, complementarianism is the biblical view. Egalitarian is heresy. And if that experience has left you speechless because you don't know how to respond to people who use the Bible to make an argument, well, today I wanted to walk you through some of those verses and how it ought to be interpreted. Now, before I begin, I want to make one thing very clear. This sermon, which is more like a Bible study, is not meant to pit one tribe against another. We are not responsible for how other followers of Jesus ought to interpret the Bible. If you agree with today's message, this is not meant to add another bullet point to your argument against the people who disagree with you, because at the end of the day, our ultimate goal is to love others selflessly, especially those who we disagree with. It's not to convince other people of your beliefs, but to make sure that you have a biblical defense for the way you treat women in our church and in your family. And if you're a woman, the purpose of this message is to set you free from whatever chains you think God or the church has placed on you. All right, so let's begin. Today, I'm going to be going over these three verses that are the most often used to combat egalitarianism. Yes, there's more than three, but since our time is limited, I'll just focus on them. Now, if you have other verses that's not listed here that you want me to explain, let me know in the chat or email me and I'll make sure that I'll make a follow-up video and post it on YouTube for you to watch. So let's begin with Genesis chapter 2. The context of this passage is the following. God created Adam to work the garden. And so far, we're six days into God's creation, and each day, God said that his creation is good. But after creating Adam, God says in verse 18, it is not good for the man to be alone, so I will make a helper suitable for him. 
So Adam goes on his day to take care of the animals in the garden. And then in verse 20, it says, But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So naturally, God offers a solution. Let's read on. So the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. So the argument that I often hear from people who are questioning egalitarianism is that the woman here is called a helper. And the word helper assumes that she is an assistant to the man, and therefore the female is secondary to males. And I totally understand how somebody could arrive at that conclusion. The word helper does have that connotation. So what we need to do is we need to dive in a little deeper into the word helper. As many of you guys know, the Old Testament, including Genesis, was written in Hebrew, and the word for helper in the Hebrew is the word ezer. This word ezer comes from the root word azar, which means to help, but also means to protect, to support, and to further. Now, translating words from one culture to another is a very difficult thing to do because sometimes we miss out on the nuances, then we place our own implications to the word. So like in this case, to the word helper, we add our own connotations like lesser or secondary, when in fact, ezer implies a being that helps you achieve a goal, which you would not be able to reach if it wasn't for that person. Other synonyms for the word ezer is like sustainer and upholder. As a matter of fact, if you assume that helper implies less, then let's take a look at the other places in the Bible where Ezer is used, like Deuteronomy 33:29 and Psalm 33:20, where it says that God is your helper, that's Ezer right there, and your shield. Ezer is a title that God uses on himself. So are we to assume that God is secondary to men, that God is lesser than us? Oh, and to make sure we understand the context of this, Adam sings a song right after woman is created. It says, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This song uses the image of bone and flesh. In that culture, flesh connotes weakness and bone connotes strength. This song points out that when they're together, they will strengthen one another in the areas that they are weak. So this creation narrative, this poem in Genesis, depicts man and woman as equals. Okay, so now let's hop over to the next passage, which is the New Testament. Now, when you think New Testament, you think Jesus, but today we're not going to be looking at any of Jesus' teachings because if you've been with us the book of Luke, you already know that Jesus is all about respecting the role of women. But in the second half of the New Testament, we come across a bunch of letters by a man named Paul. And I heard a lot of people say that they don't like Paul because he is the most quoted guy when it comes to upholding complementarianism. So let's dive into the deep end and look at one of the most controversial verses, which is 1 Corinthians 14 verses 34 to 35. Women should remain silent in the church. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. <laughs> wow. Okay, so this is one of the toughest verses for most egalitarians to explain because it seems pretty clear what Paul is saying, right? It sounds like he's saying, hey, women, you can only speak at home with your husbands. While you're at church, don't say a word. So for us to understand what Paul is really trying to say here, there's two things we need to do. First, what we need to do is we need to understand the Roman culture in which the letter was written in. Then the second thing we need to do is to understand the method of teaching in the Hebrew culture. Yes, while Paul is writing to a non-Jewish crowd here, he still uses Jewish teaching techniques. So first, let's begin with a little history lesson on Roman culture. 
In 216 BC, the Roman Republic was getting beat up in the Second Punic War, where somewhere between 50 to 70,000 Roman soldiers were being killed. Now, to put that into context, that's more deaths than World War II. Historians from that era tell us that any army would have thrown up their white flag by now, but not Rome. They re-recruited and went back to battle. And because of that, there's a huge reduction in male population in Rome, and because of that, the woman rose up and became the wealthy class, either because they took advantage of the vacancies in the marketplace or because their husbands left their wealth to their wives. So Rome, they passed the law called the Opian Law. The Opian Law stated that women could no longer display their wealth in public. See, they were expected to spend their money on Rome and less on themselves. Also, Rome was also a male-dominated republic at the time, so the real underlying reason for making this law was to make sure that women didn't gain too much power while the men were at war. And because it was wartime, everybody submitted to this law. And once Rome won the war, everyone expected everything to go back to normal. And the women naturally expected the opium law to be lifted, but it didn't happen. So about 20 years later, about 195 BC, the women of Rome began protesting by blocking the streets to the forum. Historians discovered a hand-recorded speech of Cato the Elder, this guy right here, opposing the woman's effort at regaining their rights. He said that when he saw the woman protesting outside the forum, he wished he had said, what kind of behavior is this? Running around in public, blocking streets, and speaking to other women's husbands? Could you not have asked your own husbands the same thing at home? Are you more charming in public with others' husbands than at home with your own? And yet, it is not fitting even at home for you to concern yourselves with what laws are passed or repealed here. In other words, Cato the Elder is saying how disgraceful it is to see women yelling and talking to other men about their agendas. If they wanted their opinions heard in public, well, they should just go talk to their husbands at home. If they have questions about how government is run, they should leave those questions at home with the men and their lives. Cato later says, if they, the protesting women, are victorious now, what will they not attempt? As soon as they begin to be your equals, they will have become your superiors. So this speech was actually hand recorded by Livy, a Roman historian, then distributed to the public by a famous historian in the first century by the name of Pliny the Younger. Now this bit of information is important because I want you to know that this speech would have been very famous and ingrained in the minds and the culture of the Corinthian church at the time that Paul is writing his letter. And if you paid close attention to what Cato said, you'll see many similarities to what Paul wrote. And that's because what Paul is doing here is he's quoting a common belief in the Roman world at that time. Romans, which includes Corinthians, believe that women should stay silent in public and share their opinions with their husbands at home. Which leads me to the second thing that we have to keep in mind when interpreting this verse. Paul's primary form of training is from the Jewish culture. In Jewish teachings, there is this method where you quote a well-known saying to reveal how foolish it is. Then the Jewish teacher will give a new saying to take its place. Yeah, we've seen Jesus do this a couple times. He would say, you've heard it said, and then he follows it by saying, but now I tell you, blah, blah, blah. So scholars, they argue that this is what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 14. He is quoting a common belief of the Roman culture in Corinth. The Romans believe that the woman should stay silent in public. And so he quotes that saying to show how ridiculous it sounds. Women should stay silent in the church. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. And by law, he's referring to the opium law, not some law from the Old Testament. If they want to inquire something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. 
So here, Paul is quoting Cato, basically what Cato feared, which is that one day, if the women start speaking in public, they're going to one day take over the men, so we need to keep them in their place right now. Then, like any good Jewish teacher, Paul asserts a correction in the next verse. He says, Did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks that they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Paul is saying, guys, we're not like the Romans. If a woman has something to share, then let her share. As long as there's order in the church, anyone should be allowed to speak in the church. Church historian Dr. Beth Allison Barr says, Paul's purpose seems clear, to distinguish what the Corinthians were doing, which is women be silent, and to clarify that Christians should not be following the Corinthian practice. See, Paul is expecting Christians to be better than the Roman cultural norm. Sure, the world treats women as property and subordinates, but the church, the church should be different. We're better than that. If we were supposed to be the representation of Jesus, then we ought to let the women speak. So I hope the 1 Corinthians passage makes more sense to you now. Okay, now onto the third verse, Ephesians chapter 5. Here, Paul writes to a group of people in Ephesus. He writes, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And Paul really believes in this because he does it again in another letter he writes to a church in Colossae. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Now, I've heard a lot of wives complain about these verses, and for very good reasons. So, let's take a look at this verse. First, let's recognize that they both mention the Lord. This is a very important feature, so keep it in the back of your mind because we're going to come back to it in a second. Second, notice the verse after. In both cases, it gives instructions to the husband. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the thing that I want you to see here is that the command was given to the wives first and then the husband second. So these two features I just mentioned are groundbreaking from the first century Roman perspective. You see, in that culture, wives were rarely addressed in letters. The usual practice was for the writer to give instructions to the husband to tell his wife what to do. And this is because husbands were assumed to be the owner of his wife. But Paul does something completely different. Paul addresses the wife directly and connects the command to the Lord. In other words, Paul is reminding the husband that God can speak directly to his wife because she and her husband are equals. Another huge feature is that the woman is addressed first. And this is also unheard of. The more important person is usually given attention first. So the very fact that this verse is even written, that it exists, shows that the wife is given more value than the world she lives in. I mean, this is Paul's way of saying, husbands, you are not the the one that is Lord over your wife. It is Jesus who is Lord over your entire family. As a matter of fact, the verse prior to the command to the wives seems to sum it up quite clearly. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Scholars write, instead of making Christians just another part of the Roman crowd emphasizing female submission, the mutual submission in verse 21 is characteristic of a way of life that sets believers apart from the non-believing world. In the first century Roman world, women were properties of men. The husbands had the right to take away the lives of their wives if they chose to do so. So Paul inverts that culture and says, husbands, you should love your wives and you should be ready to lay your life down for them just as Jesus did for us. So next time somebody brings up Ephesians or Colossians to you to show you that women should be submissive to the husband, well, you'll know that that's not what the verse actually says. That verse actually is intended to bring the women up to par, up to the same level as the husband. 
All right, so today I went over three verses that are commonly used to subjugate women in the church. And like I said before, there are many other verses that complementarians use to suppress women, but because of time, we'll just stop here. But I hope you get the main idea. God is for women. God does not see women as any less than man. Women are endowed with value, worth, respect, and opportunities that are given to men in the church and in the family. And women, if you feel that God has placed a calling in your life, but you suppressed it because it didn't fit with the assumed role of a woman, I hope that this will set you free. And if you feel called to take on a leadership role for one of our ministries or start a new ministry and be a leader of that, if you feel called to be a pastor, male or female, by all means, we would love to walk beside you on that journey. And if you are a wife and you've assumed that you are lesser in that relationship because that's what you thought God wanted you to think about you, I hope that this message also sets you free. So church, may you be set free to empower everyone to follow the calling of Christ. And if you feel like you've been imprisoned by your gender roles in the church and in your family, may you be set free by God's words and may you experience heaven together. God bless.